0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. What a privilege it is to be here together with you guys, with our Infuse and Ignite group, our young people. You're part of fulfilling prophecy when Christ tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and it can't as long as he continues to work with young people like you. Thank you to the ladies for beautiful special music, thank you to everyone who's participating in not just this weekend but specifically this service. Captain Joseph Charles Plum, Jr. is another American hero. He was born in 1942 in Gary, Indiana, which is a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, on Lake Michigan, just on the south side of Lake Michigan, southeast of downtown Chicago. He then grew up in the state of Kansas, first of all in rural Kansas, before moving to Kansas City, where he went to high school. When he graduated high school, he joined the U.S. Naval Academy, where he earned his Navy Wings of Gold in 1966. Serving in Vietnam, he was assigned to the aircraft carrier, the USS Kitty Hawk. You may recall the word Kitty Hawk was the first place where flight took place with the Uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright in in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, in about 1903. He served on the aircraft carrier USS Kitty Hawk, where he successfully flew 74 missions in conflict in Vietnam. Seventy-four. He was, those of you who grew up in the 80s or who have been to Canada's Wonderland, will have heard the phrase top gun. He was a true top gun. He was a true top gun. But, after, despite 74 very successful missions, no one, not even Charlie Plum, is invincible. And something went terribly wrong on mission number 75. He lived to tell about it, thankfully. But what happened much later on in his life provides the backdrop for what we're going to discuss today. Watch and listen to what Charles Plum, who is now a motivational speaker, tells us about what happened much later on after he his Mission 75 failed. Might need some help. We need a microphone for the sound. Sorry, guys. That's. So, again, he talks now about his 75th mission.
1: his head on well I think you have to pack some parachutes let me explain that I sat down in a restaurant not so long ago about two tables over a guy kept looking at me he stood up he walked over to my table he pointed at me and he said you're Captain Plum I said yes sir I'm Captain Plum You're that guy. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam. You're a fighter pilot, part of that top gun outfit, shot down off the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You parachuted into enemy hands. You spent six years as a prisoner of war. Somewhat dumbfounded, I looked up at this guy and I said, how in the world did you know all that? He chuckled and he smiled and he said, because I packed your parachute. Tell you this, with this guy that runs around the country making speeches, suddenly I was speechless. The best I could do was stagger to my feet, reach out a very grateful hand of thanks. He came up with just the proper words. The guy grabbed my hand, he pumped my arm, and he said, I guess it worked. <laughs> I, said, I said, indeed it did, my friend. And I must tell you, I've said a lot of prayers of thanks for your nimble fingers, but I didn't realize I'd ever had the opportunity of expressing my gratitude in person. He said, were all the panels there? I, said, I must be honest with you. They weren't. Of the eighteen panels I was supposed to have in that parachute, had only fifteen good ones. Three of the panels were torn, but it wasn't your fault. It was mine. I ejected from that F-4 Phantom jet at six hundred knots, close to the ground. That's what tore the panels in the parachute. I said, but let me ask you a question. Do you uh, do you keep track of all the parachutes you pack? <laughs> do you know of all the lives you'd saved? guy said, no, uh, this is the most important part of the conversation at night. Maybe the most important thing I say this morning. I think it deals directly with premier service. I think it deals directly with bringing dreams home. I think it deals directly with your job. Here's what he said. No, he said, I don't keep track of all the parachutes I pack. It's enough gratification for me just to know that I've served Here's a sailor, well below the waterline of this aircraft carrier. The guy stands at a long wooden table, and he weaves the shrouds and folds the silks of these parachutes, while jet jockey, the top gun, zooming around the sky at twice the speed of sound. I couldn't have cared less about the guy down there in the hole. Until one day, my parachute came along, and he packed mine up for me. It's not what this business is about. Oh, we have to keep track, of course. We have to have the knowledge. We have to know the industry. We have to know the competition. We have to keep all these things in our minds. But at the end of the day, your value, your value to your customer, your value to your community, has to be measured in how well you serve. That's what this business is all about. So the question becomes, how's your parachute packing coming along?
0: Thanks, guys. We're all like Charlie Plum. We're top gun fighters, as we've heard over the last two days, flying through enemy territory, trying to maintain a safe level, keeping our eyes around for safety, making sure we're not targets of the enemy, Trying to protect ourselves and our fellow flight aces from harm. But, like we talked about this morning, you have a great big target on your back because you have an enemy that wants to shoot you down. He wants to shoot into your back, make you eject without a parachute, and watch you plummet to earth and fail. Sometimes, as we've talked about this morning and a little bit last night, sometimes he will make contact. That happens. That's part of this life. And you will need to eject from your aircraft. Use your parachute and find a safe landing somewhere. Somewhere where you can regroup. Somewhere where you can gather yourself, mend your wounds, and get back in flight. The key, as we've heard here to this entire process, when you are hit with a trial of some kind, the entire key to your existence relies on the safety of your parachute. Who has helped you pack it? Is it packed correctly? Because as we heard, you can improperly pack a parachute. It can be torn. You can wrap the strings in an improper way so that it won't eject and flare out and catch the catch the air. Is it in good working order? Is it free from holes? We heard that he had three panels of 18 that were fine. I'm not sure how much more he could have gone. Four? Five? Not sure. But is it free from holes that will prevent you from landing? Today, as part of... The entire theme that we're, this great weekend we're spending together here, I would like us to ask ourselves, who is packing our parachute? Who is packing my parachute? Look in the mirror and ask yourself, who packs your parachute? What influences do you allow to guide your perspective that you rely on for advice, that you turn to when you need guidance? Who packs your parachute let's begin in Genesis 3 and ask the question if we're talking about parachutes why do you need one do you really need one you're a top gun ace it's been 74 missions you've had no need of a parachute You've been around for years and years and years and years. You've grown up in the church. You've heard your parents talk about things. You've, if you haven't seen it all, your parents have seen it all. You've read, you've read, or know people that have seen it all. You've never, you've lived as we've talked about in the morning baptism session. You've lived a blameless life, as the Bible defines blamelessness. You've, in your quest to become baptized, realize that you didn't need to turn around like others have because you've been going in the right direction. You just need to to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. So, do you really need a parachute? Do you need something? you need a safety plan? What does a parachute do? Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent... We read a little bit about that this morning, about the tribe of Dan. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that really true? Did he say that to you? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Every single one that you see before you, except that one tree. The fruit of that tree, which is in the center of the garden, we can't touch that. God has said, you shall not eat that, nor shall you touch it. So not just eat, you can't even touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the one, that's not true. I don't know where you heard that, but you're not going to die. You were told a fable. That's just an old wives' tale. You're not going to die. God knows, he continues, that in the day you eat of it, not only won't you die, your eyes will be opened and you will be so much smarter. You'll be able to see. You'll be like God and you will know good and evil. Forget that you're going to die. It's going to kill you. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you smarter. You'll be more in touch. You'll be wiser. So when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, it looked good, looked really good, and it was desirable to make one wise, she took of it and ate, and also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Oh, this is a temporary good feel like He was right. My eyes are opened. I I see things. I don't like what I see. What's this nakedness? I'm not comfortable with what I see. But he was right. My eyes are open. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves covering. From the beginning of recorded time. And this is the beginning of recorded time. Satan doesn't want anyone, anyone to be in harmony with God. No one. He wants no one to be in harmony with God. He doesn't want anyone to live forever. He doesn't want anyone. In fact, he blatantly lied to say that You want to live forever? Do it this way. Not that way. Do it this way. Knowing that this way is instant death. Death. Not instant, but guaranteed death. He doesn't want us to be at one with God in paradise. He doesn't want it. In fact, it is his modus operandi. It is what drives him every day if you can say that about the spirit world and he will do anything 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 that he can to prevent that from happening anything whatever it takes to prevent you from being there he will do he will try he doesn't like us getting together like this he doesn't like us building friendships in the church he doesn't like us Deacon Jan prayed about something absurd, as absurd as crossing organizational boundaries. Organizational boundaries keep us from seeing each other as children of God. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like us building friendships in the church. He'd rather you go find your fun and friendship elsewhere. He doesn't like you taking a weekend out of your life, a long weekend. We don't; those don't come up very often you're choosing to spend your long weekend here, together, he doesn't like you learning about his way of life, God's way of life. And he'll do whatever it takes to prevent that. Like what? What will he do? Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, what will he do to try to take the potential of God's kingdom out of your hands? Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's not talking about people, it's not talking about individuals, it's talking about a way of life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we can love the world, or we can love God, but we can't truly love both. We can't follow both. We can't be committed, as we talked about this morning, to both. We need to commit to one or commit to the other. For all that is in the world, all that, and when we say in the world, go back to verse 15 where it says do not love the world, all that makes up the world's way of life, all that defines what drives the world, all that makes it ungodly, can be summed up in three things. So simple. Anything that is ungodly can be wrapped up in three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's it. And those three things are not of the Father, but are of the world. So we can be of God, or we can be of the world. If you're going to be of the world, there's just three things that make it up. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Satan is known as the great imitator. He's not very creative. That's why there's only three things that he, that he does to get us off our game. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's it. That's what John tells us makes up the, world, the world's way. He's the great imitator. He uses the same tactics But he simply appeals to our human nature to pull us away from God. Back in, and you can write this down, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 9 to 11. That's the scripture that tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Everything's been tried before. You may be new. You may be new to this life, you may be new to adolescence or adulthood. And experiencing the pulls of the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, that may be new to you, but it's not new. It's not new. It's the same old, same old that he's been using since the Garden of Eden in that story we just read, appealing to something, appealing to the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, or the pride of life. That's what he's got. It's his only tools. It's his only tools. Put it into today's terms. Let's not use, let's try to explain these three items in today's terms. What would you say they are? Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. Money, power, and fulfilling one's lusts. We can describe that as sex. We can call it, for others it's food, but fulfilling fulfilling, a fleshly need. Pride and power or money. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Stuff I want, stuff I feel, how great it makes me, me feel. Summed up in those three. God says here through John. That's all of what defines ungodliness. Now we can break that out. We can break that out and and categorize that and break it down and have the, we walk through the works of the flesh. We can walk through Revelation two and three and see some of the the characteristics that the church battled. But here, just trying to simplify it for us: money, sex, and power. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Think of what defines a true follower of God. Think of what defines a true follower of God. And this morning, we talked about baptism. And of the 22 infuse and ignite folks here, 11 of you have already committed to this way of life. Think of what defines a true follower of God. Saving oneself for a loving, monogamous Marriage. Working hard to make an honest living, spending within your means, and being a good and godly steward of your finances. Becoming a servant, leader in whatever role you play. Satan has money, sex, and power. God says, save yourself for one person. God says, make an honest living and don't cheat. And take care of your money. And God says, in whatever you do, if you're a leader, you serve. Money, sex, and power. True commitment. Honest work. Serve when you lead. It's that easy to combat the distractions of this world. It's that easy. So why is it so hard? Why has it been so easy for so long for Satan to go to the same toolbox, pull out the same three tools, and get us off our gate? Think of these items. Money, sex, and power. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. As missiles that Satan will be using to try and shoot you out of the sky. That's what he's using. Leaving you plummeting to your death because you didn't take the time to pack a proper parachute. You didn't take the time to look after your safety. What you need, what you need is a properly packed parachute to help you land safely. Cuz he'll make a connection once in a while. That's what happens. Whether it's through a trial, whether it's through a stumble, we're not perfect. We stumble. We don't want to. Paul tells us that the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. I know what I want to do. I know I I shouldn't be doing this. But sometimes I just can't help myself. We need a properly packed parachute. So that when he makes incidental contact, we can land safely. We can regroup, we can mend ourselves, and get back in the game. Last night, Pastor Mike asked the question, as we go through this conflict in our minds of these choices, and interestingly enough, as we talked about earlier this morning, they were right versus right choices. Seemingly right versus seemingly right choices. What would Jesus do? Who packed his parachute? When we make these sometimes ethical choices, what to do when they seem to be right, right? And I could go either way. I can think of good reasons for this. I can think of good reasons for this. Remember what his conclusion was, and we've repeated that conclusion several times today so that we don't forget. It is open this up. Find it and find the answer in here. If you can find it in here, go with that. And make the best choice you can, using your Bible as your guide. But what would what did Jesus do? That's a fair question. If we want to be like Him, if we are called out to become Christ-like, to put on His mind, to be made in His image and after His likeness, what did He do? Let's go to Luke four. Find out what He did. Let's go to Luke four and see what He did. times after a 40 day fast, before he was going to start his ministry Christ went into the wilderness and for 40 days was tempted by Satan for 40 days Satan was pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pulling out these tools because he's only got three and trying, and trying, and appealing to his human desires. Appealing to his sense of pride. Appealing to his eyes. And after 40 days of trying, and trying, and trying, he gave up one last go. One last go. And tempted him three times. And what did Christ do? Each and every time, without exception, every single time, He turned to the Bible. Jesus answered in verse 4 and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You can't just pull something out and try to trick me with it. I live by the entire word of God. I live by the entire word of God. He pulled that out. He was hungry. Here's some stones. You're God. You say you're God. Make them into bread. You're hungry. It's been 40 days. I will live by every word of God. Brings him up to the top of a mountain. Shows him everything. He was the God of this world. It was his to give at this point in time. To whoever underneath him would have it. Forgetting that Christ was the creator. And cast him down to earth. And said just worship me and I will give this to you. Worship me. He goes to the scriptures and pulls out, again, from Deuteronomy, from the law. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This may sound right, but the Bible tells me this. And I find this in his law, and I'm going to go with this. So then, Lucifer gets tricky. He pulls out a scripture. He says, how about this? I get you're using Scripture. Okay, I'll come to your level. Let me throw a Scripture at you. He shall give angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands lest they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So throw yourself off. Your word says he'll save you. Go ahead. That's a right, right? That's a, hmm, he's quoting Scripture. It looks right to me. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In context, like we talked about last night, that supersedes whatever you thought that scripture you said meant. Each and every time, he turned to the Bible. Even when the Bible was misused against him. Even when Satan tried to quote and misuse the Bible against him. When it doesn't line up with the overall message of the Bible, the interpretation is wrong. What else does that tell us? What does that tell us? It's important to know your Bible so that it can be a tool you can use when you need to use it. He didn't have to go searching. Okay, I know it's in there somewhere. Let me get out Mr. Google, and I know it's in here. If I just type in, it said something like this. He knew. Of course, he wrote it. But the lesson is, he knew his Bible. Because it was part of his arsenal. It's important to know your Bible so you can be prepared when facing a challenge. Maybe you don't know exactly. Maybe you can't quote it. And that's okay. And maybe you need Mr. Google because I've used him too, to find out where that, where was that? And you, but you know enough of your Bible that you know where to go to pull it out, and use it when you need it. Let's talk about packing your parachute now. We see that Christ did. He was right there when he was being tempted to turn aside. And he used his Bible. Proverbs is a great source of parachute packing material. The entire Bible is. But as a young person, becoming familiar with your Bible, becoming familiar with the storyline of the Bible, with its wisdom, its law, its history, its prophecy, all of those things, Proverbs is a great place to go to get advice. A great place to go to see what God would have us do. Interestingly, there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. 31, I would encourage you to take that book and read it. Read it over the course of a month. Take a chapter a day, and if it's a 30-day month, don't worry about that. Keep going. If you're looking for advice as a young person, look no further than Proverbs. Start there. Build out from there. Let's go to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. And see what it's talking about. Like Daniel did when he read the opening passage from Psalms 119. It was addressed to young people. Here, Proverbs is addressed to young people. My son, in verse 8. My son. My son, my son, my son. And fill in... My daughter, if you're a young lady. Hear the instruction of your father. And do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, my daughter, if sinners entice you, isn't that what we're talking about? If sinners entice you, don't consent. Don't give in. If the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life starts gripping you, don't give in. Don't consent. If they say, come with us, come with us. Let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like sheol and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Look at these examples. They line perfectly up with these distractions John talks about. Cast in your lot amongst us and let us all have one purse. Come with us. Come on over to the dark side. My son. My son, my son, my son, my daughter. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Don't be, have those people as your friends. Don't let them pack your parachute. Surely in vain the net is spread in sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They may seem nice right now, but they'll turn their back on you if, it, if, if, if it's needed, if it helps save their skin or gives them a little bit of extra. They lurk secretly for their own lives. They're only worried about themselves. Don't go with them. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. And it takes away the life of its owners, it sucks the life out. It will steal your life from you. Because you will get into things that without God's help you can't get out of. So don't start. Don't go down that path. Chapter 2, verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Discretion. That doesn't look right to me. Maybe I better think about this for a second. Maybe I better talk to a friend that I trust or a parent or go to my Bible That doesn't sound right. Understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. For those who have been on this path before and have decided to go in the way of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths, to deliver you, we read about riches, to deliver you now from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. We talked about the difference between the world and God and righteousness. God's way understands a covenant with one person for as long as you both shall live and nothing breaks that. That is an unbreakable bond to a Christian. This person of darkness forgot that covenant for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. This might be new stuff when this comes to you. You might have never seen this before. You might have never come upon whatever path of darkness may lie in front of you to tempt you. But it's not new. And it leads to death. It leads to darkness. So trust someone that's been there. Don't have. Don't try to prove it to yourself. Save yourself. Like we talked about during the baptism. It sounds so romantic to have come out of the world. Yeah, ask someone. Find out from that person if it was really so romantic to come out of the world. It probably wasn't. Because those paths are dark. Those paths are dark. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You don't have enough just by yourself to have a proper parachute. You're not, you're not equipped with enough by yourself and nobody else to have a safe and proper parachute. You need help. We all need help. We need God. We need His wisdom. We need those who will keep, will, we can hang out with that are on the good path. We need understanding. We don't have enough of it by ourselves without God and without safety nets, without accountability partners to navigate this life by yourself. That's why you can't get through it yourself. That's why the church is a community. That's why you're part of a family, not just in church, but that's why family is the the essence to society, the foundation of society, because you simply can't get through it by yourself. You weren't made. Man was not made to be alone. We hear that from the story of creation. You simply weren't made to be alone. You need partners. You need people packing your parachute. Trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge that he is God, and that he is your God, and he will direct your paths. Verse 21, same chapter. My son, my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Let wisdom and discretion be part of that parachute. So they will be life to your soul. This path we read of darkness leads to death. Wisdom and discretion breathes life into your soul. We heard that talked about. From some of those who lived an ungodly lifestyle and have come into the church. And when they realized it was here, it was this God's love beaming inside them that was unstoppable and provided so much freedom to them. They will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way. This is what we're, we're talking about, how to safely guide in this dangerous world. Wisdom and discretion are part of that safety net. And your foot will not stumble. You won't stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Fear is in down the dark paths. You're going down this, we read in chapter 2, down this dark path, it leads to death. I'll go along with it, but I don't know where it's going, and it's, it's pretty scary being, this, being here by myself. Wisdom and discretion, God's way, that's the freedom we heard talked about, where I can lie in bed in peace and know that everything, I'm fine. God will protect me and God has my back. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. So it's not saying you won't get into trouble. It's not saying you won't have fiery darts fired upon you by your adversary. It'll come. You just don't need to be afraid about it. There's no reason to be afraid. Because you're on the right path with the right equipment. And from where do we get that wisdom and understanding? From God. From God. Chapter 4. Hear my children, verse 1. Listen, my children instruction of a father and give attention pay attention to no understanding for i give you good doctrine we talk about god's way and living the right way making good choices it starts with truth it starts with and that's what here in the in 2017 in the infuse program we're talking about the the topic is truth in action and before action before we know what to do Truth, truth in action. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Don't turn your back on my ways. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one on the side of my my mother, he also taught me and said to me, "Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live." You want to live? This is the way to live. This way. This way. Why do I know that? Because my dad taught me that what it says my dad taught me and my life has been living proof he also taught me and said to me let your heart retain my words keep my commands and live get wisdom and get understanding do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth do not forsake her and she will preserve you love her wisdom and understanding love wisdom love understanding she will keep you Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. And where does this tell us is one way to get We've, we've heard about the words of God. We've heard it, we get it from God. Here, we can also get it from our parents. Our parents help us pack our parachutes. Godly parents help us pack our parachutes. They've been there before. In, as we've talked about here, they've, in some cases, they've been on that dark path. They know it leads to death. They know it's not fun. They know it just looks fun to someone who's never been down that path before. But they know at the bottom, there's rocks. There's treachery. You will stumble. They've been there. So let them help you pack your parachute. Don't neglect the wisdom of your parents who can help you pack that parachute. Chapter 5. Verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities, relying on yourself, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. You want a sure way to go down that path of treachery? Don't listen. Don't seek wisdom. Do it all on your own. Don't seek any instruction. You want a sure way to go that way? Don't seek the wisdom of your parents. Don't seek the wisdom of God. Don't seek seek instruction from those who can shine the the light of God's path for you. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. My son, continuing on in chapter 6. My child, my daughter, my son. If you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Be careful what you agree to. Be careful what you, what you promise. Verse 20. Again, my son, my daughter, Keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. Keep them so front and center that you know exactly where to go. When you roam, when you're out there trying to find your way and you keep them front and center, it's a light that will lead you right. That light, if you keep them front and center, Find them on your heart, wrap them around your neck, acts as a a headlight, a miner's headlight. And you go, oh, that looks like that dark path I read about. Maybe I'm going to step back and maybe I'll go this way. Oh, that looks safe. I'll keep going this way. Oh, there's someone else I know. They're on the same path as me. Let's go together. All from the instructions of your parents. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. Previously in Proverbs, we saw that when we sleep, we can sleep in peace. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. It is not this handcuffing experience to follow God's commandments that limits so many things you can do. And I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't play sports on Friday night, and I can't go have fun over here, and I can't sow my wild oats over here. Man, God's way is so limiting. Ask someone who's been down those paths. We did today. And they said, this is freedom. This is the good life. This is the good life. The commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Reproofs or corrections. Man, it's not fun to be corrected sometimes. But corrections of instruction, corrections for your good, and it's not limited to youth, trust me when I say we all get corrected, we all do, is the way of life. Correction for instruction is a way to life, is a way of life. Chapter 12, let's go forward. Verse 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's, that's big words. That's heavy words. And remember, knowledge, God's way, leads to wisdom and understanding. You can't get to wisdom and understanding without first experiencing knowledge. Knowledge is... First, and then you build on knowledge, God's way, and it allows you to have wisdom and understanding. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in her bones. So here we're looking at a spouse as being a source of those who can eventually pack your parachute. An excellent spouse, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Equally, an excellent husband is the crown of his wife. Verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who seeks counsel is wise. He who seeks counsel is wise. And verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. We've got spouses being talked about here as being able to pack your parachute. We've got friends, the right friends, being able to pack your parachute. Verse 20, chapter 23. Verse 4, don't overwork to be rich because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. As you set your life goals, don't make them solely about wealth. God blesses, and there are a lot of wealthy people. We see Abraham. It was one of the wealthiest people, Solomon, David. These were wealthy men. Wealth does not make one evil. But they did not have wealth in their minds. Wealth was a product of their hard work and of God's blessings. But don't make it your life goal. Don't make it your end, your be-all and end-all. Don't give up all of these things that we talked about on the godly side for the love of money. Look at what we've read and we've just scow- we just scoured the surface of just proverbs of all those that can help you pack your parachute God Christ the law of God the word of God your parents your friends your future mate your pastors church leaders and your church family you have got around you right now so many things that can help you pack your parachute so that you can land safely, in this, fly safely and land in this dangerous world. Your inner circle of trust, your accountability partners, you have likely have heard these phrases. You have an inner circle of trust. You have accountability partners that you are accountable to. Your inner circle of trust should include those who provide wise advice. Only let those into your inner circle that provide you with wise advice. That wouldn't tell you to go down this path. But would help shine the light on this path. Keep those people in your inner circle. Who provide wise advice. And true wisdom. Who help you find true wisdom. And that true wisdom begins, as you'll read in Proverbs. Check check it out. Begins with the fear of God. And that fear isn't terror. That fear is a healthy respect and dedication to God. That's where true wisdom begins. Let's go to John 15. John 15. Christ here, on his last days last hours, frankly, of his physical life, was with his inner circle of friends, his trusted circle. And to them he said in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Don't forget that as you're looking for these accountability partners, That as you're looking for these people and things to help pack your parachute, don't forget to help someone else pack their parachute too. It's not all about getting your parachute packed. It's making sure that there are 22 parachutes packed in here, properly packed. So help someone else pack theirs. If you see someone going astray... Jump in. Do it privately. But we talked about that right versus right yesterday. It may not seem right that I jump in here. But it's not about this life. It's about packing that parachute for the ne- to save someone for the next one. Jump in and pack someone else's parachute. Be that for each other here. Be that for each other here. This is why being part of a community... Not just where you go weekly, but part of this growing youth community that we have here is so important. The church, our community, and now our growing Infuse and Ignite community here is part of that safe place that we build in the church. This is where you're safe. You can walk in these doors and know that you'll be safe. That something may happen, but I'm safe here. I may need correction. I may need guidance. It may not always be comfortable, but I'm always safe. 100% of the time, I know I'm safe here. Because here, we pack parachutes. Here, that's what we do. We pack parachutes. It's dangerous out there. You go to the top of those stairs, and you leave here tomorrow, and you go on your own. It's not a safe place. It's not a safe place. You walk those streets every day, wherever it is that you walk. And you all walk different lives. You walk different streets every day. But in each of your cases, it's dangerous. You know that. It's not a safe place. And while you're walking those streets, you got this great big bullseye on your back. You put it on every day. And it's there. But underneath that Bullseye is your backpack with your parachute. And it may get hit, but you pack that parachute, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. You'll be safe. Help keep us. Help us keep this place safe. Help us pack each other's parachutes. Help keep this place safe. People that you're involved with outside of here, who don't have a great circle of trust may reach out to you because they're most comfortable with you. Be ready to cushion their blow. They may not understand that they need a parachute. They may not even know what it is. But you can help guide them in the right direction. Steer them away from this path. Try pushing, guiding them over this way. this path if it's not you perhaps you guide them to someone who's helped you pack your parachute maybe you're not comfortable enough packing parachutes yet but you know who's packed yours so guide them over to someone who's packed yours let's go to Titus chapter 2 as we begin to conclude Titus chapter 2 where Brianna read for us today. What does the caption say above chapter 2 in your Bible? The man-made caption. You may not have one, you may have one. Many of you, thanks to dear Francis, have one of these Bibles. And it likely says, Qualities of a Sound Church. Qualities of a sound church. Let's read what Paul tells Titus, whom he left to build a healthy congregation on the island of Crete, which is just south of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. Let's read what Paul tells Titus about the qualities of a sound church. But as for you, Titus, as you lead Titus, Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. You know what? It's not the coolest, necessarily, to always hear doctrine. It's not always fun for everybody to hear doctrine. Some of us have that responsibility. That's the job we've been tasked to do. I'm not doing my job. Pastor Adrian's not doing his job. Deacon Jan's not doing his job. For not bringing to you sound doctrine. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That the older men, those who've been down this path before, are sober, reverent, temperate. Why teach truth? So that action, truth in action, becomes relevant. Teach them truth so that they are sober, they are reverent, they are temperate, they are sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. That the older women, likewise, that they are reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, not teachers of, sorry, teachers of good things. That they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of the Lord may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself. This isn't to the young folks, this is to us. To be a pattern of good works. You want to talk from up here? Then do from out there and make sure they match. That you are a pattern of good works. In doctrine, in in teaching truth, showing integrity, showing reverence, showing incorruptibility, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed and having nothing evil to say of you be such that no one out there could say anything bad about you not that you're not human and stumble but that you don't you've never gone down this path you may have looked and you went oh not for me i got that light on and i can see that's going that's going down that path paul tells titus To teach God's truth so that the church can continue to regenerate from one generation to the next. Because eventually, these young people will be old people. And there will be a new generation to teach them again. We have very little time left to impress upon you the need to walk God's way. Why is that important? Because one day you'll be up here. And you'll be leading Sabbath school. And you'll be leading your home. And you will have kids. And you need to teach them. So if we don't teach you, you can't teach them. And then they can't teach them. And then the church, the gates of hell, will prevail against the church if nobody gets taught. But Christ promised it wouldn't happen. Why? Because there are people here that can pack parachutes. So pack your parachutes so that you can pack someone else's parachute, so that the gates of hell will never prevail, so you can help Christ keep his promise that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. This truth teaches us how to behave properly in accordance with God's standards. Why is it so important for us to behave in accordance with God's standards? So that when we need that parachute to open, When you get sideswiped by one of those missiles and your plane goes down and you gotta pull that ripcord, you know it's properly packed. You have no doubt. You pull that cord with confidence, not going, Okay, please let this please let this pull. No. Pull it my ripcord because I'm going down. And I'm pulling it because I know it's gonna I know it's going to save me. I know it's packed right. I know it's properly packed, it is intact. And it will save me. I'm pulling that ripcord. That it's properly packed. That there's no sections missing. No sections are torn. Tears in that parachute that could allow us, cause us to get caught up in every wind of doctrine. And float way over here, caught up in some other wind of doctrine, and land unsafe way over there. After 31 years of service, Charlie Plum retired from the Navy with the rank of captain. In fact, by the end of his career, he had been awarded the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, two Purple Hearts, a Legion of Merit, and a Prisoner of War medal for his service. Because he actually spent, and this is a completely other fascinating story by him, six years in a Prisoner of War camp. And when he talks about that in his speeches he brings with him an 8 by 8 board and he spends his hour talking to you from that 8 by 8 board and he walks it because for 6 years that's all he had was an 8 by 8 room and that's what that's what he had for 6 years and he spends his time walking that 8 by 8 board trying to tell you the people who will listen, how important it is to pack a parachute. So all of those awards aside, all that he did, rising to the level of top gun, a captain in the Navy, it was the lesson he learned after running into that lowly sailor that we heard about who packed his parachute that impacted him in ways far more than any of those missions any of those awards and any of those experiences could have possibly impacted him. Running into that one sailor who he never paid, he said he never paid one mind to because he was just he was just that guy down in the hole that his job was to pack parachutes. He wasn't saving the world from the the plane cockpit. That's the word I was going for cockpit of that plane so how about you how about you who is packing your parachute let's close in deuteronomy 30 who is packing your parachute who do you allow into your inner circle of friends who do you count run to for advice who do you look to I stand before you today, borrowing from the words of Moses, who was simply writing the words of God. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that you have set before you life and death. God has set before you the path to life and the path to death. He hasn't set this before you, but it is before you. Choose life. Choose this way. Choose those who will pack your parachute safely. Choose those you can trust. Put your heart into the ways that you know will keep you safe in this dangerous world. That both you, and not just you, your descendants, that next generation that keeps the church continuing to grow, where the gates of hell won't prevail against this church, Because you're not worried about you, you're worried about your descendants. You're worried about packing someone else. You're worried about your parachute, because you know you can pack other people's parachutes. That both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey his voice. And that you may cling to him. For he is your life. And the length of your days. You want safety? This is where it's safe. This is where it's safe. Those people that you trust, some are here, some are not. That's where it's safe. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation
1: of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.